Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. This is episode 310, and we interrupt this broadcast in our little mini-series we've been doing. I want to share with you today some pretty deeply personal reflections on the launching of the Family Life Center, the parent organization that brings to you Faith and Family Radio every week. And the title of this episode is Why I Left Pro-Life Politics and Started the Family Life Center. The Family Life Center celebrated its 28th anniversary this week, And in light of the recent presidential election, I thought it timely to share with you why I left full-time pro-life work in politics and launched the Family Life Center. And in launching the Family Life Center, I believe I stayed in full-time pro-life work, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Back when we launched the Family Life Center in 1992, Bill Clinton, that same week, had been elected as president of the United States. Obviously, he was running on a strong pro-abortion platform. I don't know if you are aware of it, but what happened uh, in January when he was inaugurated, within the first four days of his administration, his wife Hillary Clinton was very busy working with others to craft legislation so that on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, Bill Clinton started reversing a number of the pro-life bills that were passed under President Ronald Reagan. It was kind of, not kind of, it was definitely a defeat. But it really wasn't the election of Bill Clinton that caused me to leave pro-life politics. I should probably back up a little bit. Kind of surprisingly, I found myself uh, ahead of a statewide pro-life network in Florida. Uh, I actually began work with Christian radio, predominantly Protestant radio stations, in promoting the life chain uh, in my garage with the help of my children, a broken down copier, and a public school teacher, we organized 156,000 people for the Florida Life Chain. It was the largest pro-life one-hour event in the history of the pro-life movement. I think that record still stands. And as a result of that, I was asked by a national pro-life leader if I would start an expression of pro-life politics with pretty firm standards, in other words, not compromising real easily in the face of political realities. Uh, I found myself um, when Vice President Dan Quayle came to Florida, there was about uh, 12 or 14 pro-life leaders from the state he asked to meet with in Tampa. They put me right across the table from Vice President Dan Quayle, did radio interviews with First Lady Barbara Bush, and all of that type of thing very busy in pro-life politics. But I left pro-life politics 28 years ago this week and incorporated the Family Life Center the day before the presidential election. And the reason I decided to launch the Family Life Center and leave pro-life politics 
was due to Pope John Paul II. Just a year before, in November of 1991, I was shocked as a new convert to Catholicism. I've been a Catholic, let's see, about a year and a half, not quite a year and a half, and here I was <laughs> going to Rome, and we had a, an audience with John Paul II, got to shake his hand, and he gave an address at the first international pro-life summit at the Vatican, and it was sponsored by the Pontifical Council for the Family. And uh, I was shocked that I just was there, quite honestly. I wasn't uh, any kind of Catholic or international pro-life bigwig, but I guess in God's providence, I was supposed to be there. During his address at this pro-life summit, St. John Paul II said something that has really uh, molded and directed my life and my Christian efforts to make the world a better place for over the past quarter of a century. And this is what he said. First, and this is so important, God is the author of life. And the reason you have all of these threats against life, abortion, euthanasia, uh, genetic manipulation, you could go on down the list, if God is the author of life, and the modern world has in such substantial degree turned away from God, it's just inevitable that instead of embracing life, it embraces the culture of death. And then he said, and listen to me very carefully, because I dare say we've lost our way, and I'm saying as pro-life Catholics, pro-life Protestants, concerned folks for America, listen to what he said. The only way to restore a culture of life is to bring the modern world back to God. In order to restore a culture of life, you have to bring the modern world back to God because he's the author of life. And if the modern world becomes reconnected with God, so pro-life prevails. Now, when the Holy Father said this, I was in complete agreement. How could you argue with that? It's totally logical. It's scriptural. It makes all the sense in the world. But at the same time, I was just simply bewildered because I was thinking in my mind, does, does he know how incredibly difficult it is to evangelize in the modern world? Have you ever actually tried to engage in evangelistic-type activities? I have in some pretty uh, challenging environments, from prisons with murderers about five feet away from me to secular schools to highly sec secular college campuses and this type of thing. It's difficult. And he was saying that you have to re-evangelize the modern world to make the modern world pro-life. Now, it's totally understandable to me, knowing how hard it is to evangelize the modern world, why so many pro-lifers put their hopes for cultural change in the ballot box. It's much harder to bring the world back to God than it is to win a presidential election. So I was sitting there in the Vatican, 
<laughs> you know, fly on a wall almost. But I was sitting there thinking to myself, does the Pope actually expect that as pro-lifers, we can turn the world back to God? And I was going through my thinking, he said something that was life-changing for me, and it provided a life direction for me. And he said this, the way to bring the world, the modern world, the modern world that has basically turned away from God, the way to bring the world back to God is through the family. He described that the family was the key for cultural change. The family he called the sanctuary of life. And he mentioned that it's the in the family where the culture of life develops. He went on to say that the worldwide culture of life must be changed and that, quote, the first essential structure capable of doing this is definitely the family. You see, we pour so much effort and adrenaline and rallies and bumper stickers and non-talk stop on talk radio. All these things are, are good, but they are not the prime way culture is changed. And not only has culture changed, the modern world has changed in a very difficult way to convey and try to transform this culture into a culture of life. So in any case, I came home from Rome and thought about what Pope John Paul II had said for about a year. I recognized that starting a new organization from scratch, in other words, I had very, very little uh, financial backing to do something like this, I launched the Family Life Center on November 2nd, 1992, and even though not having a whole lot of money to do this, I was deeply convinced that I had a winning strategy that I had brought home from Rome from Pope John Paul II. And here's something that I just want to say very clearly. I'm not going to shout, but you know, in a certain sense, I'm tempted to. It's this. Pro-life politics is necessary and vital, but it is not primary in creating a culture of life. Without a doubt, pro-life politics are vital, but it's not primary. Changing hearts in the family and the circle of family life is the primary way culture is changed. And there are no shortcuts to changing a culture. Um, you don't drive down to your local garden center and put a seven-story oak tree on top of your SUV and drive home. Oak trees start with acorns. That's the way they start. And they can grow to what, what any mammoth size they can grow to. But it's a fundamental lesson in nature as well as in the supernatural world. Change comes in an organic way. And we always want to do the top down. And really, we don't want to create a prohibition without 
a culture that's willing to accept it. it. It'll backfire. And so we put all this time, money, adrenaline, and tension to secondary ways that the culture has changed. Now, let me tell you something, what was going on with me back in Florida when I was doing pro-life politics. I was living in a fairly small community in southwest Florida. I had television cameras coming from 90 miles away to interview me, what I was doing with my pro-life network and particularly when it came up to voting season and this and that. I mean, there was a lot of attention given and obviously the other side was threatened by it and all this type of thing. And yet what I was involved in was good. I don't regret that for a minute. But when I switched to John Paul II's family life strategy, I never had a camera come and ask us what we were doing. It's very quiet. Well, I say there is one camera. It's Mother Angelica provided a camera for us to provide some broadcasts on EWTN for family life. But otherwise, it's been very quiet. And now I have eight grown children. It started with just Karen, myself, but now we have eight grown children. They're all voting pro-life. My daughter told me that yesterday, uh, or when was it, Tuesday, she went into the voting booth and cried when she saw in her state that they were trying to reverse a constitutional amendment that prohibited late-term abortions. They were trying to reverse it. Now, I was happy that my daughter cried, not that I'm happy my daughter cried in and of itself, but that she felt so deeply about pro-life, she was just rattled to the core of her being when she saw what the state which she is living in wanted to murder children through late-term abortion. So again, without a single camera, remember they were coming from 90 miles away when I was in pro-life politics, no cameras since then except Mother Angelica's. But now from two of us, Karen and I voting pro-life, there's 10 of us. And this week too, our 13th grandchild was born. Now, it'll take a little while for them to get to voting age, but it will go from 2 to 21. And if other families keep doing the same thing and generous in the service of life, things will change. And that's why Pope John Paul II in the Gospel of Life said, quote, the role of the family in building a culture of life is decisive and irreplaceable, unquote. Now, what can we do? You know, it's my contention, and people have gotten upset at me for saying this, but here it goes again. Most Catholic parishes spend more on lawn care than they do on family life ministry within their parishes. And the election-focused pro-life strategy for creating a culture of life uh, combined with a neglect for nurturing family life is a sure-fire strategy for the culture of death to continue. What can we do? Well, you can start with your circle of friends or the people you work with or your neighbors or your relatives. You can start within your own parish. What can we do? For instance, I know of a, of, of a layman who has been doing basically one-on-one -on -one ministry to families 
during the middle of the coronavirus lockdown earlier this year. And he says he's just flooded with needs. What if we, say, go into another lockdown in 2021? What about just setting up a prayer hotline or some kind of email hotline that a family requests prayer to try to relieve some of the pressures on families? Wouldn't cost a thing, just somebody has to organize it, go to your priest, get the okay, and, you know, push forward. Now, here's another one that... um, Sometimes, you know, as Catholics, we can only learn from other Catholics, but uh, having been an evangelical, let me tell you, go to a local evangelical church and just ask them what they're doing to promote family life. Uh, The congregation where I was ordained had one of uh, three pastors. One was almost given to a ministry to young couples and young families, because not only do you need help on the front end of getting prepared for marriage, but you just don't want to be kind of like dumped afterwards. And how can you do something that's successful that couples will want to come to and be ministered to? So you can do that. There are vibrant Catholic parishes that have good family life outreaches Find out where they are, investigate, and then it's worth your time to actually travel and observe and basically adapt, but bring back what you've experienced. You want concrete ideas, but just inquire, what are other congregations and parishes doing to minister to families and particularly young families, young marriages? They're having stresses today. Now, The American pro-life movement has tried the quick-fix approach. In other words, if we can win a presidential election, everything will be fixed. And we've tried for 47 years to end Roe versus Wade that way. And the trouble with trying to transform a culture, I'm not saying we don't want to win presidential elections at all. I'm saying we want to change the culture, and we're not going to do that by primarily focusing on politics. Because if you try to transform culture with a primary emphasis on top-down fixes, they will take forever because they can't accomplish these goals. You want that bottom-up focus from building strong families, and strong families need assistance to become strong families. And there's families that are hurting and preventing divorces. Uh, encouraging this type of thing and not making it a little side project, but a focus. Now, what do we want to do? Well, I dare say if you can imagine a train, okay, and the engine would be a family life strategy. I'm going to give you some papal quotations at the end of this broadcast. And again, this broadcast is episode 310 of Faith and Family. And if you want, these are just simple uh, pro-life quotations from Pope John Paul II. I would dare say the most family-oriented, family-writing pope in history. But if you would like a copy of these quotations, just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com, and they can perhaps be your inspiration to start wherever you are, where God has placed you, to begin supporting family life as a strategy for pro-life. And I'm just thinking all the emails that people have sent me over the course of the presidential election, and you know, maybe one out of 25 are asking something about how to help families, but most are about politics, okay? Make the train. I'm not saying exclude politics. I'm saying make the primary focus a family life strategy. In your circle of friends, coworkers, family, your parish, your diocese, that's the focus, okay? Then you have the second car in the train, and that is education. Now, just here on Faith and Family Radio, we just did an entire series for families that may be contemplating homeschooling or are homeschooling or may have been forced to do homeschooling through the coronavirus lockdowns. Now, if you don't, as a pro-lifer, <laughs> work for solid pro-life education and you yourself and without any aid for others are simply sending children to secular education or to secular college campuses or lacking discernment, send your children to questionable Catholic colleges. I just sent one of my daughters an email this morning to ask her to refresh my memory. Her introductory seminars at one of the 20 colleges in the Newman recommended list of Catholic colleges opened with a book by Brother Karl Marx. And the whole semester, she said, was about social justice in the Karl Marx variety, and it was talking about raising the minimum wage, whether or not there is objective truth. This was taught by a priest, and by the way, when a priest teaches this, it's 10 times worse than some secular professor because it's, it has the garb, so to speak. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. The priest told the students that he didn't know whether the 9-11 terrorists were immoral if they actually believe they were serving God. And he argued that sincerity is more important than objective reality. Ah! I argued with him in class, and my daughter said she got Bs the rest of the semester besides helping other students with their work and their papers for this class. He said he felt I could do better. Well, I'm glad she argued and we got her out of that place. But you have to really pay attention to the education. Don't complain about results of elections if you're sending your kids in to be formed according to all the woke type of thinking that's going on in our culture. It's the family life strategy. And then the second train, so to speak, the second car in the train is the education. And that will help develop a pro-life culture. And may I just kind of follow up with that? We need um, to retake the media, so to speak, really engaging media. Why? Because that's where people, particularly young people, and the name of the game, young people are the future. Um, 
the pro-abortion forces seem to recognize this a little bit better than Christians do, but really put some effort for professional media because it forms ideas, morals, and voting patterns. Uh, Crisis pregnancy centers are very important because pro-lifers don't want to be Count Dracula imposing this rule from Washington on down on women. No, you want to show that pro-lifers have a heart, and that's really important. And now political action becomes really, really effective. Okay? Now, while John Paul II was Archbishop in Krakow, he said that we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, the gospel versus the anti-gospel. This confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. It is the trial which the whole church must take up. Now, even before he entered the papacy, John Paul II realized that our modern world has reached certain apocalyptic proportions. And knowing that, and I'm just kind of bringing you back, I don't know if you're aware what circles you travel in, but I've been getting a lot of emails from people Uh, about the whole question of the apocalyptic nature of the current presidential election or the immediate past presidential election. And what did John Paul II do in the light of this final confrontation? Let me give you some of his statements. The future of the world. Remember, he's saying the world's facing the final confrontation. The future of the world and of the church passes through the family. Number two, quote, the role of the family in building a culture of life is decisive and irreplaceable. Number three, so much is at stake in the institution of the family that if it is not properly defended and promoted, humanity will reach the point of jeopardizing the future. That's an apocalyptic statement. And how do you prevent that from being reached? It's by helping the family, what he called, quote, the sanctuary of life. And he said, our world has embraced the culture of death that's without precedent in human history, and it must be changed, quote, the first essential structure capable of doing this is definitely the family. The family must become the center of every social political activity. And I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 310 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.